What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Fudge Muppet. My name's Scott here with Michael and Drew. As always, this is the Elder Scrolls Podcast, and today we are talking about the Ashlanders of Morrowind. Yes, they are a very traditional people, and their culture, I suppose, is truest to the Kaima from ancient times, who left, supposedly, from Somerset and traveled all the way to Morrowind, um, following Prophet Veloth. Yeah. They like and, sorry go. Well, obviously following the the teachings of the three good Daedra, um, and and they basically were Kaima like all the Dunma were, but when the rest of the Dunma basically formed great houses and became all civilized and kind of started running societies and stuff, the Ashlanders stayed true to the really like traditional, um, almost indi- well they're not indigenous but you know what I mean that kind of primal life is what mm-hmm. they stay true to and arguably they even regressed further than they actually did in ancient times because it said that that they had strongholds long ago that they'd live in but you know by the time of Morrowind and onwards it seems like they've really kind of embraced the natural hut life mm-hmm. i think that's what really separates them from the rest of dunma society is that you know when when the kind of people came to resdane which is now called morrowind um it was it was all about survival it was you know following the teachings of the good daedra heeding the warnings of the house of troubles and using that to decide how you live but obviously when the great houses emerged partially due to mafala's teachings they became life became a little bit cushier for for the dunma and you know like overcoming the tests of morrowind and the tests of mortality were kind of you know um made a little bit easier and i think the ashlanders have always differentiated themselves on the fact that you know they live off the land they stick to the teachings of their gods and they would never allow for something like the tribunal to happen in their society mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting then- sorry go I was going to say, they're also incredibly, like, xenophobic and, like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're not fond of outsiders. Although you can, like, ally or, like, well, become friends with the clan and be known as a clan friend, but you can't exactly join them. You'd also want to be really careful around Ashlanders because, you know, when you, when you read a lot of the texts about them, there's this kind of idea that, like, oh, they're really misunderstood and, like, you know, they're not just these, like, savages, although obviously exiled ones and exile being a punishment of theirs for doing a wrong thing by the tribe. They turn to banditry and, and things like that. But um, you wouldn't want to be messing with them in general. Like, there's this mm. idea that you can offend an Ashlander kind of without realizing it, to which someone might say, oh, but they won't attack you if you're unarmed. But it's like... I don't know, define armed. I'm sure anyone traveling out in the wilderness in Morrowind would at least be carrying some kind of dagger or something for protection. Yeah. And they'll challenge, you know, they'll challenge you over yeah. the small things. You know, exactly. like yeah. if you don't, if you're not familiar with their customs and you yeah. step into their hut without asking permission or something like that, then mm-hmm. you're going to get challenged. And even if you're unarmed, they're like, well, here's, here's a sword. You're yeah, going to yeah. die now. <laughs> you hey, know, so it's, it's not I'll, the best. I'll Go throw on. him a bone. And say, <laughs> to be fair, if someone walked into my house without permission, mm. I'd probably attack them as You'd well. You'd give them a sword and then attack. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think it's easy to get used to that video game world where it's like, oh, Blah Blah's house. And you just walk in and he's like, hi, like, nice to meet you. But mm. like, oh, because it's the day hours, you know, you're allowed to yeah. trespass in my property. You know? But you do also kind of get the impression that it's like, oh, you came in without taking your shoes off. That's mm-hmm. a, I challenge you to fight to the death, you know, so it's like... 100%. It, I mean, it, it's said in the law that 
their customs are quite hard for outsiders to understand and that it it is easy to accidentally offend them so your best mm -hmm. bet is to be extremely overly polite and kind of don't speak if you don't have to mm -hmm. well even in their society they're said to be quite quite polite amongst themselves and mm -hmm. very like they have very courteous sort of customs but but where like that, that happens you also have oh very polite it's kind of like that walking on eggshells vibe of like mm. if you're not very polite like they are then you're rude you know there's a story of um i can't i think it was from elder scrolls online but basically like someone out there exploring asked to speak to the leader of the tribe and the person they were talking to could have been like a ghoul Khan or something was basically just put their hand on their sword straight away ready to draw it like as mm. if as if like how dare you ask to speak to the leader <laughs> i'm yeah. getting protective you know yeah and you can understand i mean they're like so i guess to get a, like a chronological idea we they you know they come over with veloth from um Resdane initially and those Kaima would kind of be culturally the exact same but then there is this weird distinction because it's said that the they that the Ashlanders have disdain for the Velothi and the Velothi is essentially like they're in the way they use it it's like a blanket term for all of the Dunma who were once Ashlander types that have sort of joined the houses so this is like non-house Dunma that are living in Morrowind like the bulk of the populace you know because not everyone's a member of these great houses and stuff a lot of them are just sort of bulk Dunma right Commoners. But the reason I, it's interesting to think that it might have actually been even further back in, in some ways that if you have, there's that term, so the Kaima come over, they're kind of all like Ashlanders and stuff, but then there's this kind of period called high Velothi culture, mm -hmm. and this is where all those Daedric ruins are built and so on, and then there's these kinds of strongholds and stuff, and maybe they were kind of one and the same at that point, but it's interesting they use the term Velothi to say the blanket of Dunmer that go to this civilized thing. I feel like that's where the kind of, split may have happened at the fall of high velothi culture that's when the ashlanders really like no we're firmly this and then the other dunmer and so on there so you sort of have it rise of the house dunmer and you mm -hmm. start having the rise of um uh the first it, council and such. it almost seems like any form of prosperity was kind of frowned upon by the ashlanders you know like you almost have to live in a live in sufferance in order to in order to properly exist as a as a Dunma. That's the thing you know? too. Like I guess they're they're like at their core, like philosophical tenets, the OG Ashlanders religion and kind of what they worship now in the fourth era too, is all about like the the struggle and the Lorcan's test to overcome kind of vibe. All of this part of the Sigic endeavor and the three day good data are the ones that can help them in this and, and the four they're, they're kind and of like Dunma ascetics in a way. Yeah. Like but, they're very much like abstain from any form of indulgence so in a similar way to the skull like they're still all about getting as what you know what they need from nature and if it's you know a good hunt and they have lots to eat then they're gonna eat i feel but like they they find the luxury and the trinkets and these things as kind of trash mm. to them because it has no use no purpose but the one difference that i just don't conflate it to the skull is very uh, like harmonious living with nature the oh, other one sure. is still a very um, it's for the point of overcoming the reasons they feel more limited and they limit themselves is for the philosophical kind of angle. But Well, well funnily enough, though, it, it, it is in a way um, also similar. Like, again, I agree, we don't want to conflate the two, but like, you know, the video that you made about the skull and how the Allmaker seems to be a Padmaic being, you know, like, like Lorcan mm. is, and, and more about that kind of thing than the Anuic, like, yeah. angle... 
they, they do have that in common. I mean, the, the Ashlanders are obviously big fans of all the lessons of get good. Yeah. And, and which is also why it seems that rather, you know, the House of Troubles plays an important role in Morrowind, mm. but it, it is very negative where it does seem like with the Ashlanders, it, it, they, it's still negative, but there's more veneration there. You yeah, know, they, they, they try to appease, they appease them. them. Yeah, yeah. They, they do worship them to an extent. But that's in the contrast too. So when you have like, and then, you know, the rise of the first council, the tribunal, they, they see the, the tribunal as um, they, that they betrayed um, Nerevar and, and killed him and so on. And a lot of these stories get handed down from, they, they believe the source is Nerevar's shield companion, Alandro, Alandro Sul. Um, and he sort of, and, and then, you know, he went and I think he had the stories he went to live with the Ashlanders afterwards or so on after the whole Battle Red Mountain kind of thing and spread the story about the truth of what happened. So they're also very anti-tribunal. But if you look, it's funnily enough. So you've got like a very like Padmaic sort of lifestyle amongst the Ashlanders. But then it, it's it's you don't call it and it doesn't feel like Anuic because it doesn't fit into that binary. But like the worship of the tribunal is very i don't know how to call it outside of just like just pro dunma because and like mm. pro their civilization and maybe like ego filling but like a lot of the the culture there feels um different because you know thy ordinators go out and hunt daedric cults and so on and 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 the way that the good daedra is seen is they were seen as this necessary but primal like crueler antiquity that you no longer need and now you've got the enlightened it's kind of like a, forms. a utopia dictatorship mm. if that well, makes sense like you've got these three gods they're the law essentially but they'll bring you prosperity as well it does seem like the the direction that the dunma went in you know with high velocity culture which led on to the great houses which which led on to the tribunal it was all a it all seemed like forms of order like orderliness being being implemented into their society so and and weirdly enough you can actually trace a lot of that back to mafala like i feel like the Ashlanders, despite worshipping the good Daedra, would have kind of had problems with her, like, duplicity and her, like, deceitfulness and, and telling people to, telling the Dunma to assassinate their foes and whatnot, which staunchly goes against what the Ashlanders say of, like, never kill an unarmed enemy. Mm. You know, it's, it's like what Mafala would say quite the opposite. So in a way, Mafala does have that Anuic tendency to teach the Dunma to live ordered lives and to, you know... Well- do you know what I'm getting at? Kind of, yeah, kind of. It's but also interesting there too is that um, just a, another angle to pull from a father there, but like lies being a big part of it. But there's there's a um, part in the law that says about how a lot of male Ashlanders and stuff will like almost like lie or downplay or not admit to things or so on because like shame's a big part of their yeah. sort of culture. So they'll try and like hide all of these kinds of things and they'll live. You know what I mean, like, mm-hmm. and, and and that's I guess also then there's these, those weird challenges to honor and stuff that that happen um, because of that. But it's that's another just. But that's so, so that's as well why the Dunma see them as liars. Yeah, which is which is kind of ironic. But but then again, like you look at the great houses of Morrowind, like not all of them follow the three like good dangerous teachings by any means obviously like they all because of where they're from they all take parts from it like culturally and things like that they can't help but do that but i mean you know look at house redaron for example they're very like um you know tell the truth take things seriously do the right thing kind of good yeah. guy warrior action they're, mm. they're not about like being deceitful and well, assassinating either yeah it's like of all the houses too like um 
it was said that house dress is the most traditionalist of all of them and the closest to reverence of good data. And if you ever, if you guys are ever curious, you could look up um, the Tamriel Rebuilt project and go and look at their like whole page on house dress. And they expand it in a really cool, cool way and so on. It's obviously not canon, but it's a cool idea. But it's interesting that that, that the house dress has, a, they're probably like the closest connection to the original sort of chimera so on but of course they still like you know worship the tribunal and stuff and uh, as well and that's sort of there but mm. i think they don't have the same anti-daedra sentiment that is because the the, the daedra are seen as uh, like a bad thing that has been transcended or like a necessary previous older thing and obviously most of them are bad but the three good daedra the anticipations which are kind of in done with theocracy the way they they kind of they view it it's like vivek kind of literally kind of is intertwined with mafala or mm. or whatnot is the the fully civilized form the ultimate you know golden age form of them that these were just cruel anticipations beforehand before well it's a very you know. easy way to sell a religion right mm. because it's not like you're wrong it's like oh you were kind of right but you're your religion is evolving now, and now this is the new but, like, related religion that's based on the exact same principles as it, the, or teachings and ideas as the last one. Yeah, it's kind of like but a with new incorporation of, like, pagan saints gods and, or, like, pagan elements as festivals and saints and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you, uh, you guys were worshipping a real thing. Yeah, it was just this saint, but, like, the real god is the mm. god, and, like, mm. you know, you should Although some people are going to block because there's, like, people, some people going hard to debate against that or so on. But well, okay, fine. Then I'll, I, this is a, an idea. I have literally no care whether or not this is, like... I'm sure it's... Everything in history know, is very... People get de- sensitive debate. because it's a religion that's still... I have nothing based on it. Believe what, believe what you will. We don't know anyway. Were you there, bro? I wasn't. <laughs> um, but anyway. But Well, like talking about um, the most traditional of the houses, I think one of the greatest contentions the Ashlanders have with the great houses in general is that even when we look at slightly more traditional um, houses like Dress and Telvani, it's the great houses very much became about distraction you know house dress they they're more interested in commerce than tradition you know it's like a big part of their tradition is just because they can make money off of it and the telvani are just so um deeply involved in gaining knowledge and wisdom and and whereas the ashlanders you know i've said it a couple of times and it kind of does simplify them a bit but in order for them to properly live by the teachings of their gods they kind of need to maintain fairly simple lives and simple existences Mm. You know, which in a way can make them a lot more boring than than the rest of what's going on in Morrowind throughout history. Well, it's interesting. Sorry, I was just gonna just gonna interject for a second. I just want to challenge the idea um, that the Ashlanders have to be simple. Like maybe they do. I'm I'm, I'm kind of just like um, thinking out loud. But there is there anything specific about the three good Daedra's teachings that basically says you have to stay primal? Like if you know how there's this, like, if you, in mm. theory, kind of, I guess I'd say level up in terms of, like, you know, your infrastructure and the things that you have in society. Like, if you look at the Dwemer, f- for example, um, they weren't, like, I don't think super big on, like, luxury and things like that. It was, like, progress, 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 you know, overcome, overcome, invent this, get to this stage. Couldn't that still follow the teachings in a way? Like, there's nothing that says you have to, like, stay 
here because yeah. you can move from here to here in terms of like overall society prosperity in theory i know it kind of never works like this in history and still keep it tough by always pushing to that next thing. I, th I think if I had to compare it to, like, to real life, what, what I would say is, you know, you're, you're right in that, say, say belief is like, you know, you need to overcome these obstacles and the mm -hmm. four House of, the House of Troubles members are kind of the obstacles as well as mortality in general. But say you overcome, I think it's um, Dagon, isn't it? Whose natural disasters and the dangers of just living. Say they build these great houses where, you know, they've got shelter from the elements, etc., etc. In a way, that is fulfilling Boethia's teachings. Yeah. But then kind of like in real life, when you advance enough, you instead of, you know, you kind of remove yourself from the world and from society rather it's, than ever overcoming it. You know, we've just, we've taken ourselves out of nature. It's that mean. Hard, hard times make good men. <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah, times. it's strong men make good times. Yeah. Good times make weak men. Weak times make bad, uh, men make bad times or whatever. And Yeah, and then loop. And that loop. But in some ways, <laughs> that kind of principle is true. You can look at like yeah. even previous societies, They as they get to a high level of like decadence and luxury and everything's mm. too good, it kind of yeah. opens yourself up to collapse I, and stuff. I agree. And that's why I said it never seems to work the way I'm suggesting in history. Like it does always seem to kind of like go that way. But it is just interesting because it's like, here are some obstacles to overcome. You know, you want to ascend and it's like, okay, I've overcome them. What's my next obstacle? It's like, nah, nah, back to level one. Just, just mm. suffer. Just be in nature where it's hard and just stay like, do you know what I mean? Like, you're not really like overcoming. But I think, I guess yeah. it's- Like that, but, you're just like but staying I think that's, here and eating dirt. But that's because I think <laughs> the, the thing is, is you're using technology as the, the measure of ascendancy. Whereas, for example, if you had a completely um, introspective or very like tight cultural sort of view of it, it's a very like inner thing. Or if it's, oh, if, you know, some people circulate, it's like, you know, the six walking ways, like trying to achieve Kim or some sort of vibe like that, some sort of psychic endeavor. It can be a very introspective and spiritual central thing. Whereas all of these other luxuries, these material comforts would distract you from that endeavor in which they do with high civilization because everyone spends too much time creating mm. monuments to greater and bigger things. Whereas... You know, or, or to the, like, you know, worshipping the, the tribunal or whatnot. But that's why I think it's important, like, you, you know, measuring, choosing, like, there are different measurements. Their measurement for ascendancy or any sort of form clearly just isn't material. I, I, I can fully get that. But, like, what are they going to achieve? I guess that's my thing. Because, like, if I was part of some sort of philosophy that was about overcoming, like, when I look at monks, for example, right? Like, you know, monks can do whatever monks want to do and stuff. But I don't really see that as, like, a, like I, it gets static after a while. Obviously, you can't measure, like, what's going on internally. But if do you know what I mean? I feel like it, it would hit a point of diminishing returns between I've been a monk for, for 20 years or 30 years or even mm. just... For, maybe not monk because people will say there's, like, levels of spiritual elevation. Let's just say I'm going to live on the land, um, you know, as a hunter. Mm. At what level does that actually like change as far as obstacles to overcome versus just repeating the same life day in and day mm. out? Because by, in a way, in a funny way, because I know all to us and to any Dunma living in Morrowind, you know, they may look down at the Ashlanders, but I think as you said, Drew, in one of your videos, throw a citizen from Morrowind out into the wild and they probably wouldn't know how to survive. But mm. the Ashlanders do. So are they really overcoming anything anymore? Because it would be easy for them to hunt and live that lifestyle. Also, yeah. also, and let's not just forget, it's, you know, you've got to take the culture in a totality yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. But 
their biggest things too is tradition, veneration of ancestors, than the way their ancestors lived, and also their what they view as ancestors, the three good Daedra and so on. Like they're a very traditionalist group too. So adherence to those principles as well is another sort of thing they take pride in and so on. It's not as simple, like you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, mm. it, yeah, it's it does almost seem like. Um the, the idea is that you should advance and, you know, maybe creating the houses w- is a good step in, in like, Boethius' teachings of overcoming. But uh, once again, I'd say Mafala kind of undermines it in the sense that uh, mortals get to that point and then they just start turning on each other instead of continuing in advancing that goal. You know, like the idea that you can just assassinate your enemies and vie for power and become the strongest house and become the strongest member of that house overtakes all of what really matters. So then in a way, the Ashlanders can be a bit regressive in the sense that they're like, no, we reject the house system. We reject high-velocity culture, but they're not really offering any alternatives. I, I, I suppose you could look at Dunma religion and the three good Daedra as more individualistic and less as like this fully co- like complete triangle that like it's easy to perceive them as. Like, you know, like, oh, you know, I worship these three good Daedra. Here are their teachings. They may not necessarily all fit super neatly together. You know, they obviously mm. fit quite neatly together. Mm. But but of, like, like we're saying, there can be kind of like, well, this god would kind of make sense or would kind of approve of this lifestyle more. Whereas, you know, like you're saying, this god would prefer betrayal and, and you know, being a power hungry little kind of snake. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's hard because like all gods become like very nuanced. It's the same as like if, yeah, you were exactly. to, if you were to take like, you could look at like Zeus and be like, oh, he's king of the gods and lightning. So he wants the world to be lightning and thunderstorms all the time. But like that is such a <laughs> yeah. one note look at that prince, to, well, not prince, god, to to extrapolate like, like from Poseidon, like you, god. You're, you're just like whereas if you view them more as like the greek gods were which were like characters they're like persons into mm-hmm. themselves they have dominion over certain things certain powers but they they multifaceted as people are too and some people and their biggest thing you know people have contradictions all the time and live within sort of you know states of cognitive dissonance yeah. they're, not, you know, they're like, not infallible they make mistakes as well yeah. and they can actually be wrong you know hmm. and i mean well, i you know i i was kind of driving home the idea that the ashlanders in reverence of the good daedra wouldn't want to build houses but in the literal sense but if you know teaches the changed ones how to build houses and what to bury in the corners and whatnot i guess it's just a, an argument over um execution hmm. but um hmm. you know i'd say really if you if you're connecting the ashlanders to azura the main thing they have in common is just hating the tribunal <laughs> You yeah. know, at the end of the day, yeah, but I, I think that that is a big part of what what separates the Ashlanders from the rest of mm. the Dunma is just you know at a time where the tribunal rise and being living gods, they're much more active in the role of everyone's lives. As if you wouldn't want to to worship the living god who you can see who is actively changing your mm. life. I mean, um, it's yeah. No, go on. I, I was going to say if you think about it. Look at how in real life people would worship kings or even in the modern day, people will worship celebrities, Mm. singers, rappers, whatever, right? Like really, like, you know, they have some big fans or people will really get behind a politician who is just saying they're going to do this and that. Mm. You can really imagine just how kind of potent it would be to have a living God or group of living gods as your Mm. kings. And they're like, 
really doing stuff. Basically, Morrowind had a big stan culture, you could say. You know, <laughs> yes. like the tribunal are kind of K-pop in, in Morrowind and it's, you know, yeah. they got a big following. But the Ashlanders, despite having that right there, rejected it, which is it's pretty bold, you know, when for a, for a, for how, however many years, for many centuries, I, I don't want to do the math on it, but um, they would have been the outcasts who were completely wrong until mm. the tribunal had their downfall. Oh, well, still like, yeah, I guess like, yeah, something like 3,800 years. Yeah, think. but it, it, this is a bit of a like, uh, uh, kind of like just arguing against, just for the sake of it, let's just see against the Ashlanders, but couldn't like a lot of people be like, quote, right with a long enough time frame? Like, I'm sure for, like, most of the Ashlanders who lived normal lives and just lived and died and the tribunal was worshipped by most of society the whole time, they wouldn't have felt, like, super vindicated necessarily. Or, like, but, if mm, anyone, yeah. if any society has a king or or a system that falls apart, obviously the, the second strongest system takes its place. So it's kind of just like, you know, like, yeah, okay, the good Daedra now are back in favour, but... So yeah. what? <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I know I, I don't know if I'm getting across exactly what, what I'm trying to say, but I mean, it says a lot about the the kind of the weakness of the Daedra in a sense that you know you've got yeah. Azura curse the tribunal and the whole Dunma race to become the Dunma, and you've got yeah nearly three thousand, however three thousand years say of um of nothing happening to, yeah. to punish them. You know, um, yeah, yeah. You you got to wonder how any culture can not you know give in to that and just eventually start to worship it yeah but i mean anyway the main take is though that it is cool that they did straight stay true to the ways of the reclamations as they're called but they wouldn't even call them the reclamations because yeah for them there was well, nothing to reclaim right yeah, exactly. they, they are just but the daedra that always yeah. were but now they've, they've grown up for a couple hundred years or whatever with the reclamations being the title or whatever for them yeah true and they haven't done much since returning to power. Have they? <laughs> I think people, I, I think lots of things too is like it's hard to represent it in fantasy, but like religion as a whole is ridiculously more fluid than people believe. Even organized religion, because people will go like, you know, oh, you know, it's it's not a sin to do this X now. There are things in the Bible that people, every single Christian on earth, almost right, would be like, yeah, that's not on right, or mm. or, or at least most modern or most majority right. Um, but then it's obviously, so a Christian and what they do and, um, worship today is different than a hundred years ago or a hundred yeah, years yeah, before yeah. that, a hundred years. So it's often in fantasy, it's hard to like replicate that exactly, but there are lots of little nuanced differences. Oh, just this little cultural thing. Oh, we're just going to drop that. It's not important anymore. You know, and that will like yeah, yeah. change the way I, I kind of see almost like in a funny way, I think like it could be a cool way to sort of explore the Ashlanders in the fourth era that because now Ashlanders are the celebrated, like, yeah, you're on top of the theocracy. Let's go. Like it actually almost changes the dynamic. And sometimes it's the actual lifestyle of the Ashlanders becomes a much more, um, sort of like, uh, uh, how would you phrase it? A pilgrimy sort of vibe, and like, oh, we do this for the cultural celebration rather as the hard lifestyle it used to be. Because now that, it's like kind of like the underdog no longer is the underdog, yeah. and now it's and they, like and they enjoy that. They they mm. they probably don't enjoy being celebrated very much, especially if they kind of detest 
the people that are celebrating them or like detest their lives because it's easy to say it's easy to keep your nice buildings and be like yeah you were right go you ashlanders anyway i'm gonna go live in my nice house bye like (laughs) you know it's it's kind of like if you're really about that life go live it yeah um but you know and and like i said before it's kind of if you give enough time any thing besides you know these spirits like daedra that will just always kind of be there any leadership will fall apart eventually Mm. so it's kind of like whether or not the tribunal uh, you know fell apart then or a thousand years later the daedra are always technically you know most likely to be like right because mm. it's just it's just like statistical it's like if there's a one in a thousand chance of them falling apart each year wait a thousand years or two thousand years and they probably fell apart mm. and and i mean the simple reality is you know you can you can worship the good daedra all you like but when the tribunal are gone and you know bad things happen in morrowind partially as a result of the tribunal leaving, you know, like with Bardal crashing into Morrowind and causing Red Mountain to erupt. But, you know, it kind of is a a problem with the law. But in reality, you've got over 200 years passing or around 200 years passing and nothing is is happening. Nothing is being fixed. You know, the Dunmer are in the worst state they've ever been in ever. Um, And... If the, the tribunal were there, things would be pretty... Yeah, you could, yeah. I guess you could say that maybe the good Daedra are actively not getting involved because it's their punishment for all or, of this time. Or they are getting involved and making it suck for them, almost like a revenge thing to then make hard times to make mm-hmm. strong... Actually, yeah. You know, that's strong a, that's a good way of create. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that, that is why the Dunmer have done nothing to well, recover. Well, they, we well, don't know that stuff. they've done nothing necessarily. Like, it's hardly news if you're playing Skyrim where they're going to be like, oh, we rebuilt this settlement here. Like, it, it's kind of like Although not I think really... there is some confirmation in Mournhold. I'm sure they've done something, right? Yeah, like, well, because... Well, so they've there's... been hit by the Argonians, the, you know, well, Red let's Mountain, just say, a bunch of bad stuff. For okay. example, right, okay. Mournhold is the capital city. Um, Was... And what, sorry, so yeah, sorry, was the cap- so it's an right. important city. Um, yes, yeah, or is it, it still to, what? Well, after the Argonian invasion, it moved up to Blackreach. Yeah, yeah, it? but Black, essentially, Blacklight. it's their tradi- Blacklight, Blackreach. Yeah. <laughs> it's their <laughs> traditional, um, most important city. And I think there's a text from contemporary to Skyrim of a Dunmo receiving a letter from her sister who is in Mournhold saying, We've kind of just started to rebuild. I'll try and find the exact source, but this is nearly 200 years after the, after the eruption. Hmm. I'll try and find but that, is that to just, confirm. I, I mean, like, look, canon is canon, but that this. just sounds like bad writing to me. It's kind of like how the mm. Grey Quarter in Windhelm is, like, having so many problems, and it's kind of like the feel in Windhelm is like, they've just come over from, you know, Ashcombe, yeah. Morrowind, but, like, they've actually been there, if you look at the timeline, but, for a really long time. Well, this is in the Dragonborn DLC to Milor from Nilara. Um I hope the day finds you well. Uh, Aphras and I have finally mustered the courage to return to Mournhold and pick up the pieces. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Things haven't changed much. The city feels a bit empty. Baron's Eyes Palace is still completely unoccupied and most of the Redoran Guard have been reassigned to other parts of Morrowind. Um, There's something in here about it just being... It's still essentially a ruin, but... Yeah, oh, you can get the idea that things. I aren't, kind of imagine it's just sort of like this, like once grand city, a lot of it's like being destroyed and sacked and so on. But they haven't had the 
time or focus or anything to be addressing just rebuilding all the grand monuments or occupying them or whatever. That, but it could like, be, yeah, like, like moved some, now. It's just moved, but still, like, I'm sure they're building in Blacklight or, like, you know, yeah. trying to do stuff there. They wouldn't just be sad in their, <laughs> in their cities for, for so long. Yeah. Because mm. people underestimate, like, and you've said this, I think, Scott, about Fallout games before where it's kind of like, it shouldn't feel like this bombed and like people actually rebuild like yeah people fast you pop up houses and stuff within a year like not super nice ones but it's not yeah you know, people humans are actually more impressive than they get credit for sometimes i think i mean look i know we've got <laughs> technology and stuff but like look at most cities around the world and their expansion in the last 50 years right but and it just say halve the progress of that quarter or something like that and say oh because we've only got horse drawn carts but I mean these guys have magic too let's not forget that but all that, yeah. like you know I, I just you should be able to rebuild a lot faster and and, and get things yeah. done and especially having the knowledge of doing so because when I say Fallout too I'm not talking about a tribal that's doesn't know anything from you know past life like we're talking about people who understand how to build their own city's architecture and stuff you know they're not yeah you know they're not without knowledge and without skills yeah so they they should be able to rebuild yeah it's the kind uh, of yeah and instead of living in tin cans it's like yeah. they should probably just make a mud brick house you know like it's yeah. not that crazy it's not some yeah. super advanced technology <laughs> yeah especially when you've got nothing else to do but but anyway we were talking about um the ashlanders and and things well they live in magic yurts. They, they use all the insect kind of creatures yes. for all of their gear and pieces and mm -hmm. bones. Really live off the land kind of stuff. And there's going to be variation from tribe to tribe. And there are small cultural variations um, spread around. If they say Ashlanders, and assuming like it's all like, you know, the ones we meet are all close to the the tri um, to the Red Mountain, like, you know, where the ash is sort of spewing from. But like, again, if you go like Vardenfell... Um, you know, in old and old, old, you know, the further you go back when there's not eruptions of Red Mountain, it's like quite jungled and stuff almost. And the, I'm sure the lands changed a fair bit. And at one point they were, you know, during the ESO, uh, ESO Morrowind DLC, they were inside Scar, the crab. Like Aldrun used to be a um, Ashlander sort of camp place. And interestingly, like too, like this is what kind of the lore models a little bit or was, but... It was only supposed originally only in the third era was colonization of Vardenfell like licensed and done. I think outside of Avec, so where you have all the Imperials going in and all of the great houses are going in, and it used to be sort of just a Ashlanders thing. So I th feel like the Ashlanders could have been on Vardenfell for a long time, pretty uninterrupted for by even other House Dunmer and so on for a, for a good mm -hmm. amount of time until they started further kind of colonization and settlement and so on. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think as well, something we should cover is just some more like uh, basic societal things about uh, the mm -hmm. Ashlanders. Uh, for example, how they even like travel around and stuff. They use guas. You know, these interesting creatures in Morrowind. I'm sure you've and, seen Guas before. And, and the thing with Guas is... And Yeah. Guas are more intelligent than horses. And they're also omnivores, which is quite advantageous. You know, if you're trying to, like, uh, be as flexible as possible, they can eat vegetation, but they can also eat meat. 
which you know they're, they're they're good mounts basically and then you got to look at the the kind of within the tribe the the culture and, and like a lot of tribes there's ranks and um an importance of this kind of like female figure of spirituality and intelligence like you see in kind of like other groups like you know the orcs and their strongholds they've got mm-hmm. that um so yeah you've got these wise women and the wise women basically uh, they attend to spiritual matters they also uh, which is quite unique they interpret dreams and and prophecies and things like that and of course you know there's the nerevarine prophecy mm-hmm. which is uh, a very big deal in the elder scrolls 3 morrowind and ironically um you know it is an outlander who will be the nerevarine despite the ashlanders being very against outlanders in general mm. um not very welcoming to you know the savior of morrowind although perhaps it's kind of like a polarizing like check where if you're worthy of being, we'll, we'll be mean to every outsider, and if they're worthy, they'll yeah. You know, I mean, they still they're, they're still got to live their lives, you know. Yeah. Because it's like it's going to be the one in a million or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. I, I love I love it. Uh, the vibes of going into a to a Ashlander camp is so cool with like the wind chimes and stuff, and the little like sort of they have like lots of little yurts. Then they have like a sort of yurt sort of tent covering built over the middle that makes like this tiny mini courtyard kind of thing. It's really cool. And you see the big silt strider like down, like with its legs retracted and stuff like sleeping down and they've like camped up. It's just cool. Like, cause silt striders, I feel like, I don't know. It's something really cool about the, like the idea of being with that, like Ashland camp and then going in a silt strider and moving along to a new camp and settling. It just seems cool, you know, like a big, uh, mm-hmm. You know, it'd be like, it, you know, because in terms of equivalent size and the ability for them to carry things like, you know, like elephants or something, you know, they're big. Like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And one thing about these wise women as well, it's kind of like the clan mothers um, with the Khajiit. But, you know, in tribes like this, oral tradition is so important. And especially when you've got like this on top of the worship of the good Daedra, this ancestor worship, which, you know, they consider the good Daedra to be the ultimate ancestors, but also just worshipping your ancestors in general. When you've got these old wise women who have all the knowledge of, you know, recent generations of great men and women, um, it's almost in their society, it's almost more tragic when a wise woman passes away than a clan leader. Um and, you know, you can see why, because it's like kind of the loss of their memory I also, in a way when you lose a wise woman. Speaking of the death, it's like I also love that they aren't fond of war. Like they'll like do raids and like challenges and stuff, but they try and avoid all that war because mm. there are just so few Ashlanders. They don't want like unnecessary, unnecessary death. Like obviously mm. that's a subjective take like to them. Like you could argue that like an honor battle might be an unnecessary death or something like that. But mm-hmm. just the way they, they do sort of have this sort of... Um, apprehension to all-out war between Ashlander tribes as well. But it's interesting, too, to think about the oral versus written tradition because a lot, there's a lot of, like, oral tradition societies that, like, funnily enough, last a long time. And I wonder if in some way it's because you can't refer to the book, you actually have to sort of hear the words and remember them, but you kind of get, like, the energy and emotion with them in the way mm. that, you know, I forgot who said it. I just think it's a kind of a, a cool quote sometimes, but, like, language is... Um, the art of miscommunication because the second you speak and say something you're miscommunicating your purest thought like Mm. you can never convey it exactly because it's based on your bank of like interpretation so I could say one word this way but based on your history with the word it like you know gets it like obviously Mm -hmm. like some telepathic communication would be the most pure thing but in that way 
um, the written word in sometimes is actually a a language, but stripped of um, you know, emotion, tone, context, everything like that. And that's why you have like these ancient books of ancient religions and people arguing over interpretations and what means what and, and mm. so on. So it actually becomes sometimes as fallible as oral tradition because it's going like, oh, well, no, clearly he meant this. And the other one's like, no, 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 he meant this and this mm. is this. And yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like, well, uh, is it actually much different to oral? And perhaps if you went like the oral tradition, if you have these respected characters in the tribe, they pass it along. But when they're passing these stories and stuff like that, they're passing like the emotion and the message and the context of it to each and generation. And it adapts and reforms in yep. real time with like you, the current values of the tribe, you know? So mm-hmm. when you've got these original texts, if they're considered completely infallible and they can't be can't be changed or amended in any shape, then it, it's there starts to be a, a weird disconnect between what was what were the held values and what are now. Whereas if you're if the stories are retold by new generations and you know you obviously you've got all your intonation and the way you deliver it and everything, it's much more um, you know it's much more relatable than reading it yeah. from this ancient text. I think I think it being adaptable definitely helps it survive as well. Mm-hmm. Because like you're saying you can just twist it to fit and therefore it continues to fit, you know, and, and connect neatly with the current context that it's being told in mm-hmm. versus, you know, falling into the past or and that's, being thought irrelevant. And that's the thing like culture responds to environment too. Like when you almost like a natural selection of culture, but like sometimes there are things that are really good in the context of this environment. Say if there is like, you know, arguably like, you know, it's, it's bad. You know, you, you could go and people have different, obviously like different views on capital punishment or something like that. But imagine if you're in a situation or some kind of living or tribe, whereas if someone steals this food, they are literally going to kill someone else by virtue of, of robbing them of nutrition and they'll die of starvation. In these more dire moments, you can understand that is a more cultural necessity to dissuade these kinds of things. Whereas in a context of abundance, those similar rules would need to be, you know, you can get it's not that bad, all right? You know, For we nick sure. some bread. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's that idea that culture is in the same way as like even genes and so on is, is responding to um, environmental pressures. Yeah. And it's just something to consider. Mm. Genes, and you know that, that genes. <laughs> don't get started on the genes conversation. <laughs> but I mean, like that kind of thing. And I you, fucking the, love science. The, the, idea of having to, <laughs> the idea of having to adapt is is always inevitable. You know, because if you've got the ancient texts, like you know, using Christianity as an example if you can't change anything about the text and it starts to get dated and doesn't fit modern values, you're essentially just bottling it all up until it bursts in some form of reformation as it did, Mm. in which there's just a violent upheaval of what was until you can adapt the belief system to suit the people of the time, Mm. you know, and and that's what happens. So, you know, when you've got oral tradition leading the the Ashlanders, you don't have that bottling up and it's violent upheaval. It's just... It's just contemporary. It's always contemporary to the beliefs and and values of the people. It's kind of chill, like the um the wood elves are in that way with their spinners, you know, and they mm. tell tales. And different well, stories things. are the ultimate form of kind of like you know inspiring action, inspiring change, and and helping people with what they believe. It's funny, you know? like it's it's such an interesting thing of just like how, like abstracting anything helps people understand it. So through a story, abstracting some sort of lesson, like I could tell you a moral lesson in one sentence 
and it won't stick and it won't attach. Mm-hmm. But if you present that in a uh, 24 episode anime that's super epic, <laughs> people will be like, man, that character is so cool. It resonates with me so much, you know, all of that. But it, tales and stories resonate with you and, and, and convey messages not just better. statements but even facts if you hear a fact it's it's meaningless to a person you know like a there's a an author i like called richard powers who um who writes a lot about um nature and, and conservation and you could give someone a million facts about how you, the environment's getting destroyed and no one will do anything about it but you tell a, a story where you relate to the characters and you feel for the trees for example then it it that alone it's a work of fiction drives so much more passion and change than any amount of facts can give you mm. you know it, it doesn't yeah. matter it doesn't matter what number you hear it's, it's all not as powerful story. as a story so, so not only do facts not care about your feelings but feelings don't care about your facts that's mm. I mean, if you, can, if you can base the stories on facts, then that's good. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> stories are the most important way to get it done. So, you know, the Ashlanders are doing something right, I guess, mm. is the way of tying it back to the Ashlanders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess it's all the store. It's the, uh, you know, they're, they're like Ashlanders are more spiritually in line with Michael Kirkbride's philosophy or, or, of uh, of Coda, you know, like it's sort <laughs> yeah, of open yeah. source law. They all tell tales and stories and over time they will evolve slightly in tinge. Whereas you've got the whole, uh, the opposite of the sort of death of the author concept. You've got the, the tribunal that are like, you know, authoring these big works and sort of dogmatic statements and they're like, follow it. This is mm-hmm. the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, do we have anything else to say about the Ashlanders? For now on, we're just going to start doing podcast topics as excuses to segue into things we want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's like, oh, today we're talking about mud crabs, and then we segue into into mm. uh, <laughs> into <know>. what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into 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 uh, evolution and um, uh, and uh, and okay. how talk it's more complicated than is presented. Talk- in high school <laughs> there's so many gaps bro it doesn't mm. make feel everything anyway anyway <laughs> read logos well, to bios oh good <laughs> gonna gonna um wrap this one up ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for tuning in do let us know which law topic you want to see next on the podcast because we're always in search for juicy topics that won't lead us astray mm-hmm Social media links in the description and we all look forward to nerding out with you again next time.